Come Follow Him podcast. This podcast is created by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here, we hope to help young adults find relevant principles each week as they study the assigned Come Follow Me scripture block as outlined by the church. This episode is simply two institute teachers talking about what they see in the scriptures that might be relevant to your life. It is not intended to speak for the church or to definitively define doctrines or policies. Any opinions shared here are just that, our opinions, as we have learned to come follow Him. I'm your host, Matt Swenson. Let's jump in. Welcome back, everybody. It's good to be with you uh, here again uh, with Brother Neil Knight. Uh, Brother Knight, welcome. Thank you. Good to have you. Um, for those that uh, remember Brother Knight, uh, he did our uh, intertestamental uh, podcast most recently in between um, the Old Testament and the New Testament and helped us understand the transitioning uh, years there and what went on there. And, and uh, we at the Institute love Brother Knight. He's our resident scholar and we're grateful for all his knowledge. We're, we're excited to be with you today. Um, well, those, and, are, those are kind words. Uh, <laughs> it, it feels a little awkward to be overrated so, so much. <laughs> not true, not true. <laughs> um, no, we're excited that, you know, some tender things uh, to discuss today uh, at the end of the Savior's life, and uh, I'm just excited to, to see your take on that and, and uh, relevance for the young people out there listening. Um, so, this, this week we're in Matthew 27, chap, uh, Mark chapter 15, Luke 23, and John 19. Um, where should we start? Let's start with uh, Matthew 27, okay. verse Perfect. 1. Okay, <clears throat> take us in. So uh, just for the, the storyline, uh, of course, they've had the Passover dinner, um, morphed that maybe a little bit into, you know, the first, uh, at least the first that we have in the, the New Testament, uh, the sacrament, the first sacrament meeting. They, they sing some hymns. They go to the, the garden, and he has that horrible night, however long it lasted, of suffering mm -hmm. and paying the price of our sins. He's then, at some point during the night, early, early morning, taken captive. Um, this is, he's borne this unimaginable un weight uh, and, and, and you know, bleeding from every pore. Um, and that brings us now to he's he's being brought before Pilate. The, the Jews have, have been meeting and, and, and interrogating and trying to find something, and uh, but they have to go to Pilate. They have to go to the Roman representative, the Roman authority, because mm -hmm. they can't um, do what they want yeah. without Roman approval. And uh, and that is they want him dead. They yeah. want him to be ex right. executed. So right. twenty-seven one. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. When they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. And then it gives the, the, the story of Judas, who now has second thoughts mm -hmm. and uh, tries to return and, and repent, return the money and repent, and, and they, they don't care. They, they, mm -hmm. He's done what they want him to, mm -hmm. and so he throws the... the the pieces of silver in the temple and goes off and hangs himself. Yeah. And uh, then uh, verse 11, as Jesus is standing before the governor, this, the governor says, are you the king of the Jews? Mm -hmm. And Jesus gives this kind of oblique 
Is that the right word? Yeah. Answer. Um, he says, thou sayest. Which today we would say something like, you know, those are your words, mm -hmm. or you said it. Mm -hmm. Kind of with the feeling of, you said it. Yeah. <laughs> um, thou but, sayest. <laughs> yeah, but, but, you know, just, uh, he's kind of saying yes, but... Uh, well, he is saying yes, but yeah. he's doing it in, a, in this kind of roundabout way. Sure. Um, so he questions him, Pilate does, finds that nothing wrong with him. And, uh, and, and Jesus, after this, doesn't really respond to anything. Well, there's this, uh, there's this tradition. Let's go to verse 15. Um, would you like to read 15 sure. through 7, 18, 15 sure. through 18? Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they, would, whom they would. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas, or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. So he's not finding any problems, yeah. legal problems, right. with Christ. It's yeah. just that the Jewish leaders don't like him. Right. And so they have a notable prisoner. Uh, he's there for murder and sedition. Yeah. This is a truly um, a bad guy. Bad guy. Yeah. Now, some of the Jews would perhaps, depending on what exactly his crimes were, consider him a patriot. Yeah. Because it's possible that you know the sedition is crimes against the government, and the Jews didn't like the government anyway. Right. right. Uh, murder, as in the course of being seditious yeah, some Jews would be okay with that not all sure. so he's but he's he's literally you know genuinely not a very good guy mm -hmm. and uh, and they say we want him yeah now a couple of things about about Barabbas uh, the name Barabbas means son of the father right bar <laughs> like uh, Simon bar Jonah Right. Peter's name, Simon, the son of Jonah, yeah. um, Bar Abbas, he's the son of the father. And there's a fairly ancient uh, tradition going back to like the second century that Barabbas' actual name, because Barabbas means son of this sure. you know, dad, yeah. his actual name was Jesus. Hmm. And so here you have two, if, if that's the case, yeah. There's obviously scholarly debate because that's what scholars do. Sure. Um, whether it actually was Jesus Barabbas or not, but if it was, and then you've got two Jesuses, mm -hmm. both of them in different ways, son of the Father, and both and both accused of very similar things. Yeah. Right. I mean, legally. Um, the, the Roman Empire had the law that there could not be a king of the Jews, that there was not to be a king because we had a ruler in the Roman Empire. And, and so being taken to Pilate was effectively, let's make sure you're not actually the king here. And when Jesus effectively says, I am, but not like you're thinking it, yeah. Pilate doesn't see any, any issues there. And yet Barabbas, straight up sedition, yeah. trying to, Overthrow. I mean, you know, very directly. Um, interesting that Pilate chooses Barabbas as the other, saying, and and I don't know that that's how it happened, but yeah. but uh, but it's interesting that Barabbas is chosen right. by someone, right? Um, because of what he was being accused of and and the similarities. There. Yeah, and and 
you know, it, Roman Empire did have kings, um, you know, subservient sure. uh, kings. Sure. But in this case, they had a governor. Yeah. And so they, they don't want a king. Right. And and this would be a threat. And ultimately, getting ahead of the the story a little bit, that that really is part of why Pilate caves. Mm -hmm. He doesn't see anything wrong, um, but. Here's, here's your choice. You've got Jesus, the Son of God. You've got <laughs> Jesus, mm -hmm. the Messiah, the right. Christ, yeah. the Anointed One, right. who is you know, the Son of God. Yeah, that's interesting. And uh, if, if nothing else, there's some real uh, appealing poetic symmetry mm. to having this choice of two Jesuses, yeah. both the Son of God. Well, and, and I might just pause you there. You know, in, in trying to find relevance to, to young people and, and tying this story, which is so well-known, um, to our day, how, how frequently do we see things that the adversary has twisted that are so close to what God's law is, what God's plan is, um, in our culture of uh, every, every type of love is, is acceptable because we define love as a certain thing. Um, you know, just those types of things where, where we really can see a very similar kind of a thing. Yeah. Where, you know, uh, there was, like I said, some of the, the Jews would have found Abrabbas's politics very appealing. Yeah. And and Jesus maybe not so much. Mm -hmm. they, they're, they're finding out that he's uh, a different kind of Messiah than they were maybe hoping for. And I, I don't think that's all clear. I think sure. there's a lot of muddy water here. Yeah. But I think some people are, and, and the, the Jewish leaders, of course, are framing things the way that they right. want it to, yeah. to appeal. But they would find this uh, alternate Jesus um, appealing to them politically. And I think that there are things political and, and social and, and uh, things in our culture that, uh, that sometimes we can find appealing that um, we maybe kind of agree with. And, and if we're not careful, we can... We can, instead of picking and choosing from different uh, traditions and cultures and, and paradigms, we might end up swallowing the whole paradigm, yeah. and it replaces the, the eternal paradigm that yeah. we ought to have there. Yeah, you think about what these people choose here. They choose to release someone who was doing it more their way, mm -hmm. who wanted it done more their way than God's way. Yeah. And had they really looked at what was going on, had they really studied their scriptures and understood what Christ was going to come and do, they would never have let him be the one to be sacrificed, right? They, they would have said, that's who we need to protect. Um, and, and maybe in a similar way in our day, sometimes what God wants us to do on earth isn't what the world is wanting us to do. And it becomes pretty easy for us to say, well, that doesn't feel good because it makes me have to whatever. Right? I mean, at one point, even Peter got rebuked. Yeah, right. When he, he, he wanted to do it his way, he wanted the Savior yeah. to do it his way. Yeah. You know, get thee behind me, Satan. Right. Um, at, which means adversary. Sure. I don't think he was literally right. calling him right. the arch deceiver, <laughs> the, the father of life. You know, he, he's just saying, you're, you're opposing me right now. Yeah. But even, even Peter and, and the others of the Twelve had to learn what this uh, Redeemer was yeah. and what he was about. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Sorry, I didn't mean to no. derail you. Just wanted no, to. No, that's good. I wanted to go there, that. so good. that's good. Good, good, good. Okay, so we've got uh, the question: Who will you have us release, Barabbas or Jesus, uh, which is called the Christ? And uh, he, the, the people say, 
in fact, they're shouting. Yeah. They're, they're almost rioting uh, in, in some accounts uh, you know, of, the, of the Gospels. They're, they, Barabbas, Barabbas. And what do you, what do you want me to do yeah. with this? Uh, verse 22, Pilate says, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? Yeah. This is one of the, the verses that experts will point to and say, this is an indicator that you have two Jesuses. Mm -hmm. So mm. what do you want with this Jesus, yeah. which is called Christ? <clears throat> they all say, um, let him be crucified. Mm. And, and then verse 23, and, and this question is in, in uh, I believe, all four of the, the gospel accounts. He says, Why? What evil hath he done? Hmm. And uh, I, I got an idea from listening to uh, David Butler and Emily Freeman okay. uh, that I'd like to kind of uh, yeah. borrow. Yeah, please. And, and that is, uh, you know, let, let's think about that question. What evil hath he done? And, and, and how do you answer that question? Hmm. Now, as, as Christians, we believe he's done no evil. He's lived a, a sinless life. Right. yeah. The Jewish leaders, his evil is their, he's a threat to them. Yeah, he's claiming, yeah. yeah he's, claiming he's a threat their, to their position, their power. Their authority. They're, yeah, they're, they're accusing him of, um, and maybe they really believe that he's committing um, blasphemy, mm -hmm. claiming to be the son of God. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what, what evil has he done? Um, and if we had a trial yeah. and had witnesses come, yeah. You know, who would come in his defense? Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, to me that he, he is claiming to be the Son of God. Rightfully, he is. What, it, it begs the question, what were they looking for? Because someone at some point in their, even their theology today, will come and be the Son of God, right? So they're going to have to accept a, a Christ at some point, a Savior at some point. And, and they've so descriptively defined what that's going to look like that they missed him, right? And uh, it just it just makes me wonder what what that description really was. And you've said there's some ambiguity to that, and a little bit of muddy water as to you know how they thought uh, he would rule or reign, and 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 maybe it literally is coming from the clouds to save his people, and that's what they're really looking for. Very being very literal in the law of Moses and you know, those types of things. But just an interesting it's an interesting perspective to see that they they will at some point accept a savior. And they will call him the savior, but what does it? What is going to happen in order for that to, to be the case? Yeah, Who, miracles was wasn't enough, right? <laughs> it, I mean, he, and he did the very miracles that they would expect the Messiah to do. Right. Yeah. Uh, he was very Moses plus. Yeah. You know, and and he did all of those things, and and none of that was enough because mm -hmm. it didn't have the political element that, that some of them wanted, mm -hmm. but. But just for for a moment, what, who would you want to come forward as a witness in his defense? Pilate saying, "What evil has he done?" What what comes to your mind? Who, oh. who would come forward as a witness for him that would be living back then? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, maybe a Peter, but <laughs> I mean Mary, maybe maybe his mother. Um, but but being connected to him in the way that they would have been connected to him, they wouldn't have been viable witnesses, yeah. probably. Um, I don't know, who, who would you want? I, you know, one that I think scared the Jewish leaders, was sort of a, a real tipping point for them, was Lazarus. Oh, yeah. And maybe Lazarus wouldn't be 
the best witness, but there were a lot of people there yeah. that saw this. Yeah. A lot of people mm. knew the situation. A lot of people were there when, you know, four days when he was really, truly dead. For sure, yeah. That, uh, mm. that you know, he could bring him, bring him back from the dead. So I think you can have a wide range of things. People that were part of the feeding of the mm. 5,000 or 4,000. Uh, That's interesting. And so on. Can I ask you a question? And, and again, I don't want to derail you. I just, just something that sticks out to me in this section here when Judas leaves, um, is let go. The, the concept of a scapegoat back in Leviticus comes to my mind. And, um, and just jumping back there, to Leviticus chapter 15, and I know you didn't have probably this prepared. Maybe you did because you're you and you're that fantastic. Uh, we'll find out here, huh? It says, uh, being descriptive about what a scapegoat should be, Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, or two goats brought uh, to the tabernacle, one for the Lord, one lot for the Lord, and another lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot felt and offer him for a sin offering. And then if we skip to, that's verse 8 and 9. If we skip to verse 15 in the same chapter... Uh, 15 and 22, 15 says, Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering, that is for the people, and bring his blood within the veil, and do that with, that with the blood, as did with the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And then 22 says, And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat, confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the, by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And he just runs away. It's just an interesting, and I don't know that, that, that there's a link there between Judas and between the Savior, but that one goat would be given all the sin and then offered as a sacrifice. And another goat um, th that represents the people's sin and let free to roam the world in their sin. In their sin, right? Yeah. It just seems like there's maybe a, a type or a shadow of this experience happening right here um, as, we're, as we're watching it play out in Matthew here. I, and I've never thought of it that way before with Judas and Jesus, but yeah. I, 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 I think there are some interesting parallels, and I think that type is played out every day in our lives. Oh, sure. Where we've got... <laughs> one goat right. or, or the other, you know, we can follow the, the shepherd yeah. or somebody else yeah. and, and we can have him pay the price of our sins or we can wander in the wilderness right. with our, our own sins and do the best we can with that. Yeah, and for sure there's other ways to look at that scapegoat as maybe more Christ-like in its, his, you know, take the sin and, and take it away from the people, that, it, that yeah, kind of concept, gone. right? Yeah, so I don't, I don't, Pretend that that's the only way to view that, but just an interesting correlation yeah. there. Yeah, that is. Yeah, anyway. Appreciate that. Yeah, keep going. Teach us. Well, verse twenty-four. We're still in Luke, or excuse me, Matthew twenty-seven. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Pilate sees that uh, he's not able to do anything to dissuade them, and, and a tumult, mm -hmm. you know, a riot. Mm -hmm. And th by the way, footnote: he had legitimate reason to be concerned. The sure. Jews were riotous people. Yeah. <laughs> they. I mean, and and he had had issues with this before. Sure. In fact, this is one of the reasons why um, Pilate caves. Um, I think it's in John where they say, you know, that we have only one um, king and that's Caesar. Yeah. And, you know, we don't, you know, what basically the, the veiled threat is, sure. what is Caesar going to think? 
when he hears that you're allowing somebody else. Right. A, a he, he was charged with keeping the peace yeah. between these people, right? And, and he's had riots before because he was a yeah. very strong-minded man. We, we sometimes look at him washing his hands and, and, and saying, you know, you, you, I'm clean, you take your, you, him and do what you sure. want. But he wasn't caving um, because of peer pressure. I mean, they weren't his peers. He, and he was, again, a strong-minded, strong-willed man, which was the cause of some previous um, rioting hmm. and, and deaths. And so he was kind of skating on thin ice. Hmm. And, and plus his, um, his benefactor back in, in Rome that had helped him get into the position of governor was on thin ice with Caesar as hmm. well. So he, he kind of, because of political pressure, not really... You know, he didn't have the will to stand up to them. Sure. He 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 says, "You you see to it. Yeah, you take him and do what you want." Right. Um, sometimes our previous choices take away um, current choices sure. and future right. choices. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And that was the case with uh, with him as well. That's interesting. And then they say, "His blood be on us and our children," which mm -hmm. is. Um, uh, kind of a scary thing to say and to put on your children. Right, I yeah. think they weren't really thinking clearly. So then Barabbas is re released, and the next thing for Jesus is he's scourged. <laughs> and uh, I think what I'm about to say is pretty well known, but I, I, I just think, and I don't want to be macabre and, and, and morbid and, and anything like that, but sure. I think when we talk about this um, and, and when we every week, you know, his, his broken flesh right. and his blood, I think it's good to, to think about it. Um, this is the beginning of the broken flesh part mm. uh, in a big way. Anyway, he might have been cuffed around before this, sure. but uh, scourging was uh, a multi-strand whip with chunks of metal or, or bone mm -hmm. um, woven into those things. Uh, the, the law of Moses said 30 la or 40 lashes, mm -hmm. and of course the, the Jews uh, would do 39, mm -hmm. because if they miscounted, they didn't want to go over and right. break the law. <laughs> uh, the Romans didn't have anything you know, mm -hmm. that would limit them, and this is the Romans that are doing this. And sure. So he is scourged. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the metal, um, sometimes it was metal balls, sometimes it was more jagged metal, mm -hmm. but this would, this would start to rip mm -hmm. the flesh. Um, and and that could go right to the bones. This was destroying the muscles in the back, you know, up from shoulders down to um, to, to your buttocks, and mm -hmm. and it was horrific. Some people died from scourging, um, and and this was a, a preparatory. This was not just a thing for Christ. This was a preparatory step to um, capital punishment, to being crucified. Mm -hmm. um, and so here, here he's had this horrible night uh, in, in the, the Garden of Gethsemane and before the Jews, and now he has this. Um, they, they, the soldiers take him in a mocking way. They put a robe on him, Matthew says in verse 28, scarlet, the others say purple. Mm -hmm. And of course, purple is the color of, of royalty mm -hmm. anciently. Mm -hmm. and, and so they're mocking. They put a, a crown of thorns on him, again, a mocking kind of a, mm -hmm. an arrangement. And, um, and they, they mock him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And mm -hmm. they spit on him. They, they took the reed that was his scepter in a mocking way, and they, they smite him on the head. So they're just having fun with their prisoner. 
um, these are hardened kind of you know Roman soldiers and uh, and so this is maybe fun for them. Mm-hmm. On the way out, um, they uh, they lead him away to be to be crucified. Uh, traditionally, the person being crucified would carry not the whole cross. We see that sometimes. Mm-hmm. The whole cross would have been too heavy a burden, probably even for uh, uh, you know. Person who was sure. strong and yeah. had a good night's sleep, right. you know, probably was just the the cross beam, mm-hmm. and and the upright part of the cross was already out there in place. Mm-hmm. This was something that they would just have there waiting for the next time. Sure. Um, Sometimes it's referenced as a tree. Yeah. It would be hung on a tree, and that reference yeah. being that that like beam. a stake. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and sometimes there were crucifixions that were done on a stake without a cross beam, sure. but the Romans. Most often did the the kind of uh, cross that looked like a capital T. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was carrying his cross beam, and I mean, think about what's happening, you know, with his back and and uh, being weakened by the the spiritual um, suffering that he went through the night before. He, he's not he's not doing very well. Verse yeah. thirty two. So they find a man, uh, Simon of Cyrene. In one of the Gospels, it says he was he was kind of just passing by, and and happened to be in the right place at the right time. Mm. Mark says uh, he was the father of Rufus and Alexander, mm. which would indicate that his audience knew mm. Rufus and Alexander. Yeah. So we don't know if who, who Cyrene was, but it sounds like um, there was a conversion. To Christ as a result of this passing by and being in this yeah. right place at the right time, and uh, and then his sons, you know, his family come with him into that. Hmm. So he he carries the cross, and uh, they get to Golgotha, which uh, is the place of the skull. Uh, these uh, these two locations. Um, well, hang on. Yeah, where he's going to be crucified is um, there are a couple of different possible locations. The one that means the most to me is the one that was most north mm-hmm. of the temple um, because that's where um, uh, some significant sacrifices were made and were to be made, and, and mm-hmm. here he is, and he's north there. And the, the, the stakes would have been next to that main road that was coming out of the north uh, gate of, of Jerusalem. The, the Romans crucified people um, as a public way of saying, this is what happens. Mm. And, and so they, they, they put it there on a heavily trafficked road. Um, they take him there, verse 34, they offered him vinegar, and just about any time in, in the Gospels where it says vinegar, we can say cheap wine. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. It wasn't... Um, it wasn't what we would think of as the vinegar we put in pickles or something. Yeah, yeah. This was cheap wine, the wine that slaves and soldiers and, and the very oh, poor would drink. That's interesting. Yeah, and, and the Roman soldiers would have a supply of, you know, wine there. Mm-hmm. And, and so somebody gave him that mingled with gall. Not mm-hmm. sure exactly what that is, but the idea here is to try to deaden the pain yeah. a little bit. And, and he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. It says, verse 34, he would not drink. He wasn't going to do anything to take the edge off of the suffering that he was supposed to do. Yeah. Speaks, uh, speaks highly of his 
understanding, right? I yeah. need to feel this. I need to feel this. Mm. I need to have the whole experience. Um, this is not fun for me. This yeah. is not convenient for me. Mm. Um, I, I, I wonder sometimes as he is going through these different steps, what is he thinking about? Yeah. And right. who is yeah. he thinking about? That's so interesting. And I'd like to think <laughs> that he was thinking about me. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking about my family. Hmm. So he he wasn't going to do anything to take the edge off. They crucified him. So Again, with, with not wanting to be overly morbid about it. Sure. Um, and, and, and probably not new, but something I, th I think it's important to think about. Uh, it's, it's anciently, um, the, the term hand applied not just to the hand, but the wrist and even sometimes the forearm. Oh, okay. And so when they, they put nails, you know, pierced his hand, sure. um, there were studies done, I can't remember the guy's name, um, in the, the 1930s, um, with, uh, and they were, they were actually experiments done e even earlier than this, where take an arm, you know, from a, a corpse, and, and drive a nail through it, add some weights to it to kind of replicate the weight of a, a body, mm -hmm. and the nails in the palms w would rip out. Mm -hmm. um, and so they, uh, you know, they, they would put it in a more, you know, mm. sure location. Sure. And uh, also the added benefit of putting it in the wrist mm -hmm. is there's a, a major nerve that passes there. Sure. And this yeah. is about pain. And uh, and so they would pierce that median nerve mm. right there um, and have him securely. And not just Christ. Sometimes we, we hear people saying that other people were only crucified with ropes. And that's a possibility sure. that sometimes ropes were included. Yeah. Um, but with Christ, we absolutely know nails just because of, uh, you know, talks about the marks in his hands and his feet and so on. Mm -hmm. So anyway, he, they, they, they put him up there and that having that nerve pierced would cause tremendous pain um, and, and muscle contraction. So they would, they would nail him to that cross beam and put him up on, on top of that cross. Mm -hmm. And if you can imagine having nails in your, in your wrists lifted up, you're hanging from it's them. Horrible dropped down onto that, that yeah. jarring effect Jerking would be motion. just horrible. Mm. And then we often see with his feet, kind of one foot placed over another and the nail being driven through that. Mm. That's possible, but they've actually found mm. um, a, a, a foot bone oh. with a nail through it from the side. Mm. And so it's, it's possible that crucifixions were actually done with four nails, mm. one each wrist, and then their feet straddling the post mm. and Inside. driven through sideways. Mm. And uh, oh, man. just a, just a number of nerves yeah. that would that go through your wrist and your hands and this, your ankles, just that just the number of points of pain. Yeah. You know, just so horrific. And now you're standing yeah. on the nails in your feet. Or you're oh, hanging. Pulling, yeah. 
you're hanging with because it hurts too much to stand and and you're weakened and you can't so you have to just give up and yeah. now you're hanging by your wrists and uh and so when we see pictures of the crucifixion, often it, it just looks like they're very calm and peaceful because yeah, paintings don't been, give you emotion. Yeah, it would have been brutally and, and this, moving and writhing. and Yeah, yeah. a lot of writhing and, and, and again, the back yeah. with the scourging on that wooden oh, post. Man. Um, and so it's this up and down and Well, writhing. that's part of the, don't want to jump ahead too far, but that's part of the reason that they would break their legs so they couldn't do that longer yeah. and get into the Sabbath and right. you know, be dying on the Sabbath because that was right. <laughs> bad. Yeah. Don't, we don't want to kill Christ on the Sabbath. <laughs> and, and so it's, it's probable that, uh, that Christ hasn't slept mm. since the day of, you know, yeah. the, the, the night preceding, sure. the, the day of the Last Supper, yeah, yeah. That, uh, that he hasn't maybe had anything to eat or drink mm. since the Last Supper. Um, mm. No sleep. I mean, this has not been not been a good uh, a good experience, and he's physically weakened. Um, it, it, it's like I said, it, it, it's kind of dark. But um, me personally, when I'm thinking uh, about the sacrament during the sacrament, one thing that I'm thinking about is. You know, we're doing this in, in remembrance of his body. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I think for a little bit about this. I think about his body during this um, period of, of him performing the atonement. And think about, like the hymn says, his body, you know, bruised and broken. Right. And uh, because to me that's an important um, part of it. it. It might be a little dark, uh, but it also touches my heart. Sure. It, it draws me to him that Christ would be willing to do this. Yeah, Neil, thank you. I, I, uh, I'm touched by, you know, there's so much of Christ's life was was serving and doing things for others. We live in a world that says, do things for you, focus on you, it's self-care and all these. And I'm not suggesting that, that there isn't a time, especially mental health conditions mm -hmm. and things where you do need to take care of yourself. But, but if we look at the master and how he cared for others, even in his most extreme times, it was, I'm thinking about other people, I'm thinking about what they need, not what I need right now. Um, you know, the, the, the last phrases, um, things that he says that are just about everybody else, not, you know, the, maybe the one moment of why have I been forsaken? Well, <laughs> because you had to be. That's really the only reason, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I, even then, I'm sure he knew that. Mm -hmm. um, but to feel that would have been so heavy. But, but I, I just, it's such a tender thought to me that he was always thinking about us, always thinking about his purpose, not thinking about his comfort, um, his position, uh, how many people liked him, whether he was um, uh, followed. I mean, he was, but, but that didn't matter to him. How many know? friends did exactly. he have? Exactly. <laughs> we live in this world where all of the opposite things of Christ and Christ-like behavior 
are ratified as valuable in our culture. And it is, and again, it is all done by the adversary over a long period of time by way of just twisting (coughs) good and twisting um, right concepts, love and um, and taking care of your body and yourself, and I mean those kinds of concepts aren't wrong, but to the extremity that we've we've lived them, and to the into the social world that we have portrayed them, and said these are the things that matter. You know, it's interesting to me to talk to a younger person today. Uh, I was I'm old enough that social media was an afterthought. You know, as I got older, it was like oh I I could maybe get that, um, and and I'm part of all the you know parts and pieces of social media and the podcast by the way podcasts on Instagram and Facebook and follow us there um, but uh, but it's interesting to hear my children and children of the younger generations saying I have to get off of social media because I have to stop thinking about how many likes I have and how many people are following me like that doesn't compute to me I don't think that way I, I have friends I guess on Facebook but I don't ever look at the number of friends I have right I don't ever post something and look at how many people have have commented or liked it or and yet that is really where the adversary has taken the children of today into that world of focus on you focus on how others are viewing you and completely spun away from Christ-like behaviors which would turn us to everyone else yeah. and turn us to those around us that are suffering like he's going to do here in a moment. Yeah, and, and another part of social media that has gotten a lot of attention the last few years is the inaccurate portrayal that we get. Yeah. We see people at their best. Yeah. We see them smiling. I, I, I don't spend enough time on social media to know if all of that's true yeah. or if there are sure. pictures of people in agony, mm-hmm. you know, right. look at my, that could right. be too, but yeah. but that's that's kind of the thing that we hear, um, you know, this is what life is supposed to be like, yeah. but here we have Christ, yeah. the greatest of all, the only person to have led a sinless life, and I'm sure his life was full of joy, but also a tremendous amount of Suffering, sorrow, and yeah. sacrifice, mm-hmm. and 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 that's just the way it is sometimes. And it's not wrong for for good people to have bad experiences. It might be painful. Yeah, and and thank you, Neil. I appreciate that. There, I think there's something there too to to discuss. That you know, the Savior's day to day life would have been tough. It would have been hard. Every everywhere he went, people were asking him to do another miracle and. You know, and how cool would that be to be able to, you know, do that for people and help people? And, and, and he, I'm sure he had moments and days where he was just, he loved what he was able to do. Um, but generally, people were going about it for the wrong reasons. His friends were denying him. I mean, day after day after day, there were so many negative things that, that happened in his life. He had every right and every reason to sit and mope and be and complain. And, but he didn't ever do that. And I think something that's interesting to me is, when Christ left every situation, he had handled it perfectly. And he never went home and had self-doubt. He never went home and regretted how he handled a circumstance or a situation. And I wonder sometimes if we were more Christ-like, if even in the negative experiences we have in our life, if we wouldn't view ourselves so negatively, that we wouldn't be so beaten up about our negative lives, if the way that we responded to the negativity in our life was more like Christ, um, 
I don't think he was depressed, though every part of his life was depressing, probably. Um, but I, I, I just think he knew how to say, I did that right. I followed the Spirit. I did my best and, uh, and never had to feel guilty uh, for having gotten angry and done the wrong thing. or you yeah. know. And not that we could do it at that level. No, for sure. There would always, we will always have right. things that we can regret and yeah. should regret and, and repent of. And, but there's the goal. Yeah, and, and we can do better, standard. right? And, yeah. and, and I think if that was an objective of ours from day to day is come home and not regret as much as I regretted yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. uh, and maybe there's some something there in Christ's life that could teach me to um, find more joy, yeah. even in the extremities of our life. Yeah. Right? Yep. Not, not to have a false perception of what we should be that's yeah. contrary to what we ought to be. Right. And... Even if we have a correct perception of who we ought to be and how we should be, not have a, an impossible standard. Yeah, an overinflated sense of I can do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or an underinflated sense of I, I'm not doing that at all. Right. Well, yeah, you know, for sure. So there's got to be a balance of I'm doing what I can, <clears throat> and and uh, His grace enables me, right. and and the the atonement allows me to be clean and to be changed. To try again tomorrow yeah. when I didn't do it right yeah. today. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just I just think there's something there. He he just had a joyful life even though it was tough. Yeah, and and people were were thronging him sometimes even when he was out of his way to get oh, away from right. everything. Yeah, he just he couldn't escape them. Yeah, and and. And he just and he did it. He turned. He, he went with. He it. turned to them. Right. Yeah. The, the notable example is his, his uh, cousin's death. John the uh, John the Baptist beheaded. He'd found that out. Wander was walking away to go be by himself in the wilderness, and the throng of people comes, and that's the the loaves and fishes. Yeah. He turns and just cares for them. Finds grass for them to sit on. I mean, all the things that. You and I say, no, I, I need to go be alone. I need yes. to do me. I'm having a bad day. Right. <laughs> and, and everybody around us is okay with that. Yeah. But maybe if we looked at Christ's example and said, focus on other people. Yeah. You know, there's a sister in my stake right now who lost her husband not too long ago, a month maybe ago. And a sad situation. He passed quickly over the course of a six-month period um, from ALS. And uh, mm. just very sad. And... And wonderful people, good, um, just very caring and con connected to the people around him. And uh, and and she has just just found a way to fill her day with serving other people. Um, we had a little graduation party for one of my daughters uh, earlier this week, and and uh, she called and said, "I'm I'm not sure that I'm ready to." to be around all the people yet, but can I bring some brownies and just drop them off? So she came about 20 minutes early and in and out, just ran in and dropped brownies off and left. And, and in her most challenging time of life, probably, mm -hmm. she's finding time to go and serve and to lift others and, and finding it, joy in that. At her level and in ways that she is comfortable and capable, yeah. we, right. we won't all measure up even when we're trying to respond that way, right. to, to maybe to Christ's level. But that sounds to me like someone who is being Christ-like yeah, at sure. the level that that she is at. Yeah, yeah. she's just wonderful. She's been wonderful. So yeah. anyway, yeah. So so, so a bad day, yeah. a bad day. But he's he's focused on other people, right? And and that kind of leads us to the seven statements that Christ made on the cross. When we look at all four of the gospel accounts, there's a total of seven things that he says mm. on the cross. Yeah. So all throughout the New Testament and, and other scriptures as well, we, we read things that 
tell us things about the character of Christ. And I think these seven statements are a really condensed example of uh, character um, traits, uh, the kind of, of person that he was, what was important to him, okay. gets cool. um, <clears throat> expressed while he's in this horrible position with this horrible pain. Sure. And so um, we don't know, of course, because they come from four different accounts, the exact order of everything, but uh, the first one we'll talk about is where he says, and this probably was the first one, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Mm-hmm. Talking most likely about the Roman soldiers. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're the ones that have been causing him pain. They're the ones that are now causing him additional pain. And, and he's just making a public statement. You know, yeah. he could have just said this in his mind. Sure. He could have just, you know, like we have silent prayers sometimes. Mm-hmm. He could have just, but he said it aloud, I think as a lesson for us. Yeah that uh, somebody's doing something that is painful to me, but you know, maybe, maybe there's some kind of a justifiable reason. Yeah. If, we, if we knew their situation better, we could have a little more charity for them. Yeah. We could extend a little more grace to them. And that's what he's yeah. doing with these soldiers. Not very good people doing something very painful, but he finds it in his heart to say, hey, don't, don't hold them fully for this. They're following right. orders. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and, and the idea that he... Uh, is speaking to his father here, right? That that um, he, it's a it's a delineation between himself and the father, right? That that he's he's referencing a being that he is not. Um, that uh, you know, while I think he had every authority to forgive sin, um, he's you know speaking to his father to do that, to have that. Uh, take that role on, and yeah. I, I just think it's kind of a, you know, I'll sh- I'll I'll give a little bit away um, after we get done with this episode here today. Uh, Brother Knight and I are going to continue to record and record some uh, conversations about uh, what happens after the the New Testament is over, and that'll come out at the end of the New Testament block here this year. But um, looking forward to that conversation because there's a lot of distinctions like this one where Christ separates himself from the Father very clearly um, as two separate beings. And so anyway, that's coming, so be yeah. be aware, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, thank you, and, I, and I'm excited about that. Uh, yeah. The apostasy of the early Christian church is, uh, I think, an important topic and, and yeah. uh, one that I've had an interest in. So yeah. if I have a soapbox Me too. in the gospel, that this, this <laughs> it's a good one. apostasy. Love it. So here, you know, this statement, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's simply showing us how to, to live that commandment to forgive your enemies sure. and to bless those that curse you. Yeah. So, you know, he gives the law, he lives the law. Even in the midst of being persecuted. A really bad day. Yep. And he's thinking about these soldiers. Yep. A really bad day where we might be inclined to say, "Get him, God." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that or or yeah, I, I, just we could we'd feel cranky, yeah. you know. We might be obnoxious, yeah. but here's Christ, and He's saying, "Don't don't hold this against them." Yeah. Second one, so we had had two thieves. Yeah. And and thief is maybe not the the best uh, translation here. They were. Uh, other places it calls them malefactors. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were they were evildoers, which is literally what malefactor means. Sure. 
these could have also been uh, people that had been you know seditious against the government and uh, and so really not the great people um, one was mocking him and one said you know we deserve this yeah so be nice to him yeah and, uh, you know, will you remember me, he says to the Savior, mm -hmm. when you come into your kingdom. And the Savior says, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, he's not saying you're going to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's not quite that far. But he is giving this thief who's going through the same thing he is. Yeah. And by the way, how uh, what, what, what it says about that, that thief that... He, He's having a really bad day, right. and he has the wherewithal to say, give him a break. Yeah. He's done nothing wrong. We deserve this. Yeah. So kudos to him. Right. <laughs> but uh, you know, the Savior says, uh, you're going to be with me in paradise. Paradise meaning the world of spirits. Yeah. That's where they're both going to be right. pretty soon. But he, he gives this, uh, this person uh, some hope. Mm -hmm. It's not like total forgiveness, but uh, because forgiveness comes with repentance sure. and what what the, the thief has done is maybe the beginning, right. but uh, but the Savior says you know here's some hope. Yeah. Number three, yeah. this one is to me is real touching. Um, he looks down and he sees his mother uh, standing by John the beloved, mm -hmm. and he says, "Woman, behold thy son." And he says to the disciple, "Behold thy mother." Now he's going to be back. Mm -hmm. This is Thursday, or excuse me, Friday. Um, we understand that he was put on the cross about nine in the morning, the third hour. Mm -hmm. um, the Romans and, and the Jews, for that matter, at this point, day was roughly from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., mm -hmm. and there were 12 hours. So the third hour is 9 a.m., and he's going to be there until about 3 in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. So um, he's, he's looking down. Uh, and and he, you know he's gonna he's gonna die he's gonna be in the tomb, and he'll be coming back Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. So this is Friday afternoon. He knows he's coming back. Yeah. He knows he's gonna have more interaction with, with his mother and with John. Mm -hmm. But again, the timing of this, um, is touching to me because number one, it's it's a it's a public statement. Number two, it's in the middle of this really bad day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And who is he worried about? Yeah, it's not about himself. He's worried about his mom, right? And wants to make sure she's taken care of. Mm -hmm. Now he has siblings, half siblings. Mm -hmm. um, it's, we know maybe at least one of them, maybe maybe two of them, kind of come around uh, in a big way, even. But um, right now, John, take care of my mom. Take care of my mom. Yeah, mom, look at him as your son. Yeah, wow. Tender. Yeah, yeah, something to think about when we um, think about our moms. Mm -hmm. The fourth statement, again, this one, this one uh, touches me, and I think there's some uh, applicability here. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Um, Elder McConkie is the only one that I, I know of who said. The, the, the horrors of Gethsemane returned. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he's the only one that might make that just his opinion, mm -hmm. but, uh, but here's something new. Mm -hmm. If it's not the horrors of Gethsemane, this sounds like yeah. something new. Sure. Perhaps for the first time in his life, 
he doesn't feel the presence of his father. Mm-hmm. We can go without the presence because we do things wrong. Do it we drive time. it away, you know. <laughs> but this might be the first time yeah. for him. Yeah. And and to to feel alone then, right? In, the, in that really bad day he's having, um, it would just have been uh, sad. Yeah. To, to be him in that moment, you know, I, it's like piling on. Yeah, right. Like, can it can it get worse? No, I mean, literally. And then it did. It <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I just think about some that question how the the idea was brought up to me in a class I taught last semester, where a student said, "How can I try to become like Jesus when Jesus was like a god, when he had all this capacity and all this strength to do all these things that." no human can do. And I remember as we studied that and we looked into that, the, the concept of Christ having superpowers really was dispelled. That he was given the strength to go through this and the garden experience and given the ability to take his life again and um, be resurrected is really the only thing uniquely immortal about what he was tasked and given on earth. Um, uh, uh, his spirit being so strong before he even came, having attained godhood before, before he even got here, that it really did rule his body. And um, his body was never uh, subject to, his, uh, to the world at a level where he couldn't withstand and he was so obedient that the spirit was always there mm-hmm. prompting and helping and directing. And anyway, that just the idea that um, that he was given some superpower here is tenderly shown as, no, he wasn't. He, he was alone. He, he was a, yeah. a mortal going through a mortal, painful experience and not given magical powers. Right. Well, e- even in the garden, there was a, a point where an angel right. came to strengthen him. Right. Gives him some more power than he well, had. However that worked, yeah. I don't know. But, yeah, but, uh, yeah he, he was uh, a god. Mm-hmm who had a very mortal experience. Yeah. Perhaps the only mortal thing he hadn't experienced yeah. to this point was to not feel his father. So he fully, yeah. he experienced everything. Yeah. And so our students, uh, or anybody, that um, feels alone, yeah. that feels uh, there's nobody, yeah. that there's, there's nothing for me, he he went there. Yeah. He experienced that on the worst day of his life. On top of everything else he'd gone through, he also mm-hmm. experienced separation from his father. And and to the fullest, right? I mean, I have students I know who who say, "I don't feel the spirit. I don't know that the spirit's ever with me. I don't." And I don't know that that's totally true. I think their recognition of the spirit may be less than stellar. Um, but but I don't know that they don't have the Spirit with them. I don't know that they're not being guided and directed. In this moment, Christ was alone. There was no Spirit. He knew it. It was not happening. And, uh, and because of his perfect knowledge, his perfect capacity, he knew he was alone. And you and I, even in our darkest, loneliest moments, I, I just wonder if God really leaves us alone, um, even in in our worst yeah. times. And then uh, add to this, 
not just the pain, but what is he seeing? What is he looking at? Yeah. He's looking at his followers, the people that that love him and have sacrificed for him, the people that that perhaps he loves the most, um, and they are shaken to the core. Yeah. The ones that are there, there, and then there are others that are walking by and taunting and. Yeah. And, wagging their heads, is yes, that what <laughs> wagging their heads, and and you know making sarcastic comments to him, being rude, and all yeah. of that, and and the the loving, strengthening, empowering uh, influence of his father's withdrawn. Right, Jesus has been there. He knows he knows what uh, it means to be alone, yeah. and uh, and he's there for us. Yeah. I think uh, I think you're right that uh, he was alone. There was nothing. No safety net, uh, except for the the power he had, the divine power he yeah. had to overcome. Right. That that was the thing that I'm sure would gave him even yeah you know, but some some real strength to to yeah to charge through this. Yeah, I think that's that's important, and and that he he depended on his own spiritual strength to not succumb to all the temptations that would have existed immediately as the spirit left, mm-hmm. as the the presence of his father was gone. He was so confidently him and knew who he was that he didn't fall even then to the temptation to be woe is me. And, you know, he just asks, why am I alone right now, right? Can you yeah. imagine the father looking down and just having to turn his head yeah. and not watch that? It's, uh, it would be tough. Like I said, for me, just because of how we can see him like us in a way that that one's real touching for me mm-hmm. why hast thou forsaken me because yeah. i've been there i have yeah. and it for me why hast thou forsaken it's always because i've done something <laughs> <laughs> i know exactly why i'm just asking really <laughs> yeah <laughs> um number five yeah. i thirst mm. and one of the the real tortures of uh crucifixion was dehydration and, and thirst um, and by the way, we didn't. We, we kind of touched on this: the, the how long a person would be on the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could be there for two, three, four days. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was not meant to be an easy death. It was meant to be tortuous, mm-hmm. and uh, and and so he. This is the one time that he he kind of makes a complaint. Mm-hmm. I thirst. And uh, so they a sponge full of vinegar, cheap wine, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, this is a fulfilling of, of prophecy. Number six, he realized that it is finished. He's done what he needs to do. He's gone through Gethsemane, the mockery of a trial, the pain of the crucifixion. Um, I'm reading now from some notes that I have. He had trodden the wine press alone, and this because of his undeviating devotion to the will of the Father because he was sustained by a complete and eternal love for you and all mankind. Um, here, this has got to be near, you know, three o'clock, near the end of that six hours. Mm. Um, mm. And then, number seven, he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Six hours instead of two or three or four days. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says he gave up the ghost, mm-hmm. gave up the spirit. Mm-hmm. And the, the Greek word there, gave up, means uh, he dismissed it. Mm-hmm. This was a willful 
I'm leaving my body now. Yeah. <laughs> willful giving of his life. A willful. He'd done everything he needed to do. And, uh, and then he said it's finished. And he, he left, his, left his physical body behind. Isn't that interesting? Nobody took it from him. Yeah. He gave it. Yeah. Nobody that's, could. Yeah. That's an interesting concept. It, you know, and, and I might back up to the, to the sixth one there. That the idea that he says it is finished speaks to his capacity to know and understand what his task was. Um, and, and maybe I'll just share something, not, definitely not to diminish what he's done here, but, but I think there's some relevance to us in our lives. Um, when I first started teaching for the church, um, I would sit for, I still sit for way too long preparing lessons and yeah. thoughts and gathering quotes and scriptures and whatnot. And, and uh, early, early on, uh, I had a, a mentor teacher that was working with me, and I said, how do you know when you're done? And he says, I just keep going until the Spirit says you're done, hmm. until it says you're finished. And uh, that has been such a powerful instruction to me. Um, and ever since that day, I just keep going until the Spirit says that's enough. And I'm not done with the lesson in a lot of cases. I just have gotten to a point where I'm like, that, I have enough now. And I don't know how the lesson will end because I didn't finish it on my PowerPoint or whatever, right? Um, and I just think there's something we learn from the Savior here about being aware of the tasks you've been given and that the Spirit will tell you when you're done, when you've fulfilled Heavenly Father's objective for you in that thing, and to move on and to go a different direction. So many young people, especially in their in the phase of life that they're in, um, you know, looking for jobs and getting careers and all those things, they just keep going, working at and working and working at trying to accomplish that rather than sitting back and saying, Heavenly Father, will you just tell me when I've done enough of this thing mm -hmm. and then I can go on to the next thing, whatever that is. Um, I think if we became better, and President Nelson would probably affirm that if we became better at hearing the Holy Ghost and the promptings of the Spirit yeah. and Revelation, right? Um, but, but I think the Savior in this most extreme moment is teaching us that I know. I know when I'm done. The Spirit can teach me you've done it all. There's nothing left on the table for you to cover here for us. And uh, I, don't know, I don't know. that Again, not to diminish this right. experience he's having, but, but there's a message there, I think, to me. He could have stayed there longer. Mm -hmm. He could have hung on. Yep. There's a bad pun there, but right, yep. he, he could have. Yep. But he didn't need to. Sure. Yeah, it was done. Yeah. And I can move on. Yeah. Finished, yeah. whole, complete. Yeah. yeah. Which is what the Greek word for perfect, perfect means. Yeah. It was, it completed. Was a, a completed mission. Yeah. So. I love that. Uh, the, 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 I just love the, the expressions that the Savior makes here that, that shows uh, even in, in the worst of times where his heart was, yeah. where his mind was. And it was on people like me, yeah. and uh, and it was on being faithful and obedient. Right. Uh, it was about fulfilling a prophecy. Yeah. Right. You know. Yeah. And, and when all of that was done, then uh, it moves on to the next thing to yeah. do. Be done with it and move on. Yeah. Right. And and what he's moving on to is actually spoken of in Matthew. Um, and I don't want to take wind out of your sails, but just we're getting close to the end here, and just want to make sure we cover a couple of things. Um, as soon as uh, the Savior uh, cried with his last voice and yielded up the ghost, 
the veil of the temple was rent. Oh, yes, thank you. Right, and we know what, what happens after he dies because of the Doctrine and Covenants. We know what he went and did, um, where he uh, taught the spirits that were there that were righteous how to go and to do missionary work on the other side of the veil. And the veil of the temple being a very physical, visceral thing no one ever went through beyond except for to do some maintenance in the Holy of Holies, right? Um, but uh, that veil being torn in half was was not just a physical thing that happened on earth, but a very symbolic thing of now work can be done on both sides of the veil. Now because Christ has suffered, because the atonement is done, the temple can become in its fullness. It can do everything it is intended to do. And temple work on both sides of the veil can be done um, so that those that have been awaiting uh, their body again and awaiting their opportunity, the prison that they've been in, the Doctrine and Covenants talks about, mm -hmm. spirit prison, because they didn't have hope. There was no hope until Christ died. So that veil being rent, I think, is a is a significant thing. Yeah. And there, there were two veils, and it, this doesn't say which one. Yeah. There was the entrance to the, the temple building, mm -hmm. and then from walk through that, you go into the holy place, sure. which only priests did for specific reasons. And then there was another veil, um, pass through it, you go into the Holy of Holies, which a priest would only go in there once a year right. to, to perform a specific um, ceremony. Um, so we don't know which one, but either one, yeah. um, it opens up something. Opens that door. And it's interesting that they all say that it was ripped from top to bottom. Right. That this is an action coming from God oh, interesting. down to us. That's interesting. And it opens it up for everybody, both yeah. sides of the veil, right. but also um, uh, there's this idea that we now have a more direct access to God. Right. Um, and so, yeah, thank you. I appreciate you yeah. bringing well, that and, up. Well, and just, uh, you know, we, we learned from Elder Bednar not too long ago that there are a lot of things about what we do in the temple that we really can talk about. and. I think one of the things for those that haven't gone through the temple that I, I think is so important is really ultimately the purpose of the temple ceremony and the endowment is to teach you the signs and tokens, the things that you need to go back through the veil, to, to enter into the presence of the Father. You know, if you've ever gone to a temple uh, dedication or to a temple open house, you're taken into the into the endowment room and shown where the veil in the temple actually is, that we have that there, um, that, that when we go through the endowment session, and whether for ourselves or for someone else, that, that instruction is given to help someone because of Christ and literally through Christ and much of what we've talked about today um, in his crucifixion even, um, those things are the things that help us get through the temple and through that veil being parted for us, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, I just think there's there's something so significant about that. And then maybe just one more thing and then I'll let you close us out. In verse 52 of Matthew 27, the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. I don't know that that's really discussed much in the Christian world about what happened there and what was going on there. Um, we know that Samuel the Lamanite prophesied that that would happen. And then uh, in 3 Nephi chapter 23, the Savior, he gets after <laughs> when, he, when he's visiting with uh, Nephi, the, the newly called prophet of the, uh, the Nephites. He says, go and get the records of Samuel the Lamanite and, 
and, and they bring, they gather all the records they have, and, and he kind of says, show me where you wrote down that Samuel had prophesied of the people that came. And he says, well, we didn't write that down. And he says, but the people came, didn't they? The, those, there were many resurrected at my resurrection and, and, uh, or crucifixion. And, and Nephi says, yeah, we, we all testify to that. And, and Christ says, well, you should write that down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So it is a Oops. thing that happened all over the world. Those, those yeah. righteous that were, went before Christ, many were resurrected at that time. The, the beginning of what we call the first, the resurrection. first resurrection. Christ was the first fruits. So those graves are opened on that Friday afternoon, but they didn't come out until right. that Sunday right. morning. He, so Christ was the first resurrection. He was, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just an interesting concept, right? And that, that morning of the first resurrection is still happening, that when God deems it necessary to resurrect a being, give him a body back, he, he has the ability to do that now till Christ comes again and, and that, that glorious day when those that uh, have died righteous with him will come back. Yeah. Uh, pretty cool. Pretty well, just cool. kind of to, to, to finish the storyline, um, this is the, the uh, preparation day. It's the day before the Sabbath. The Sabbath starts at 6 p.m. They've only got three hours sure. from the time that he dies. And, uh, and so the, the, the Jewish leaders say, hey, we, we don't want them hanging around um, out there on, a, on a, one of our most sacred days. Can, yeah. And so you know that's where the breaking of the legs comes in, right. the, the yep. shock. Get them to die fast. Yeah, and and the, when you when you hang like this, it, it kind of inhibits your breathing a little bit. Mm -hmm. So one way that you die is 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 uh, suffocation, suffocation right. um, exposure, other things. But they they just wanted to speed it up. Under Jewish law, uh, when you hung somebody on a tree, they would only be there for a day. It wouldn't be uh, overnight. Mm. So the Romans didn't care about that. Sure. But, but the, the Jewish leaders thought, oh, this would be a, a travesty to have right. these people out on, on those crosses. For longer than a day and then on the Sabbath. And then on this really special <laughs> Sabbath day, right. you know, after what they'd done, which was such a travesty. And Passover's just happened and all the, right, I mean, yeah. it's a very holy week going on. And so then Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus come and they do a quick, um, kind of a, pre a preparatory burial in one of Joseph of Arimathea's um, tombs that had been newly carved out. And uh, stone is rolled across, and the Jewish leaders say, listen, he, he said he was going to come back from the dead. Let's, let's put a guard there and seal that up. And Pilate says, you, you take care of that. And, do what you want. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's kind of the end of this, this scripture block. Um, and a dark, dark, dark day uh, for his disciples uh, and it was Elder Worthlin, I think, that gave a talk years ago about, um, and this is at the next lesson, so I don't want to go too far, sure, sure. but, but that, that Sunday morning, that Sabbath morning will come. Yeah. Even after our darkest times, there's always a Sabbath morning yeah. to, uh, to look forward to. Beautiful imagery, All right? Brother Knight, this has been fantastic. Um, is there a thought that you would leave with uh, those out there listening? Um, if you could, I've been asking this question a little more forcefully than I used to. Uh, if you could force someone to listen to you, and, and they did it, and you took their agency, and they then went and did the thing, or became whatever, uh, what would you just want them to know? What would you want them to hear or feel um, to become? 
I, from this specific scripture block, I just would have you know that the Savior loves you. He knows you. He understands you. You are on His mind. Your welfare is, is what's paramount to Him. And everything is in place for us to be, for you to be um, successful. And, and we all have a very flawed path. You know, the straight and narrow path, the covenant path, is wide enough for us to kind of bump up against the edge, mm -hmm. you know, as we do it imperfectly, but we can still be the kind of people that we need to be, even with those mistakes, as we start each day um, looking at it as a new opportunity. Mm -hmm. And we look at each challenge as uh, an opportunity to grow and to become more humble. But, uh, but Christ knows you. He loves you. Um, he has the power to, um, to help you, to change you. And uh, be still and know that He's there. Yeah. Take time to, to, to feel that love. Sacrament's a good time, but there are other times in your lives that you can do that too. And I, I just testify that this is true, that He is our Savior. And I say it in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Knight. We'll have you back on. Thanks. <laughs>